Hey everyone. Today I want to talk about an ethnic group that isn't often associated with the American South. However, this group also has deep and very interesting ties to the region. In this episode, we'll be looking into the history of Chinese immigrants here in Arkansas. This is a very short intro, but I don't really have anything else to add here, so let's just jump right in. The story of Chinese Arkansans starts in the years following the American Civil War. During this time, there were many young men leaving China to try their luck amassing wealth in the United States, then taking that money back home to their families in China. Most of these young men were settling in Northern California towns where they ran a lot of businesses that provided services to those looking for gold in the region. While Arkansas didn't have gold, we did have something else that required a whole lot of work. Cotton fields. Remember, the Civil War had just ended and slaves freed, which means that the owners of cotton plantations had just lost a whole lot of basically free labor. Even by continuing to employ sharecroppers, the workforce was significantly smaller than it had been before the war. Planters from Mississippi, Tennessee, and Arkansas held a conference in Memphis to discuss ways that they might use Chinese immigration in their favor. On July 13, 1869, local farmers held a smaller convention to make the final decision on the importation of Chinese labor. You guys will have to forgive any meows you hear in the background. I'm, um, sort of fostering a stray cat right now, and he talks a lot. The topic garnered significant debate that was basically split down party lines. This debate was documented by Powell Clayton, the Republican Reconstruction Governor of Arkansas. Clayton noted that while both Republicans and Democrats saw Chinese immigration as beneficial to the state, they had very different opinions on the type of immigrant that was preferred and how expansive the rights afforded to these immigrants should be. Most plantation owners were Democrats, so their opinions were the most relevant to the debate. As Clayton saw it, the Democrats wanted to import Chinese labor to punish former slaves for abandoning their masters. You see, in the years following the Civil War, federal reconstruction programs were put in place to allow more freedoms to the former slaves. While many of them still worked in the fields, they now had the power to fight for higher wages and better hours. Many plantation owners saw Chinese immigration as a way to replace all of these newly empowered workers with non-citizen Chinese laborers who would have neither the ability to vote nor the rights recently afforded to black Americans. So, in addition to being viewed as cheap labor, the plantation owners also saw the Chinese as being easy to manipulate into serving their needs. The Arkansas Valley Immigration Company was formed in 1869, and representatives set out to find workers both in China and the western United States. While we can't know how many were personally recruited by the company, we do know that the 1870 census found 98 Chinese people, almost entirely men, living in Van Buren, Lincoln, Jefferson, Pulaski, Chico, and Arkansas counties where they worked in the cotton fields. Most of these workers were young men from the Guangdong province of southern China, also known as Canton. Some had previously been working in California, but racially motivated violence and expulsions on the west coast had led them in search of a new place to live and work. Others moved north from Louisiana, where they had worked in sugarcane fields, 
Still others likely stayed in the region following the completion of the Texas and Yazoo Railroad. The Chinese workers were credit contract workers, which means that the planters who employed them loaned them their passage fees in exchange for their signing a contract to work for the planters for, at most, five years. As you might imagine, given that they were taking jobs that previously belonged to literal slaves, the Chinese men were expected to work long hours for little pay. Planters usually provided them with a house of some kind and food rations. Additionally, records also show that some planters offered up to a pound of opium per month on top of wages. This policy was abandoned when opium prices increased. Uh, this policy played into a belief that most Chinese immigrants during this time were addicted to opium and, well, truthfully, a lot of them were. You see, in the late 1830s, the British had fought in the first of a series of wars to protect an illicit trade of more than one million pounds of opium that the British East India Company smuggled into China. By the end of the Second Opium War in 1860, the Chinese government was forced to legalize opium, and addiction rates soared. Chinese workers eventually realized that they were being used as pawns in the politics of the region, and many cut their contracts short. Those who didn't leave moved to larger towns and cities like Little Rock, Pine Bluff, or Helena. By the end of the century, Chinese immigration to Arkansas was almost completely non-existent. This was only exacerbated by the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was passed by Congress in 1882 and prohibited the immigration of people from China into the United States. Between 1880 and 1890, the Chinese population in Arkansas dropped from 133 to 92. It reached its lowest point in 1910, when only 62 Chinese people were recorded living in the state. Many who had lived in the state either returned to the West Coast or all the way back to China. Those who did stay had to find new sources of work. Records from 1880 to 1910 show that the majority of Chinese residents in Arkansas ran small laundries. These laundries were frequently targeted by police under suspicion of being concealed opium dens. As early as July of 1879, the Democratic-aligned Arkansas Gazette reported that Memphis was infested by Chinese laundries with opium dens attached. By 1881, opium dens were reported to exist in Hot Springs and Pine Bluff, where young white Americans apparently became addicted to the drug. In that same year, Little Rock police raided a supposed opium den kept by Finnig Waugh, who demanded a trial by jury, where he was convicted but fined only one dollar. In fall of 1886, Little Rock police raided an opium den owned by Old Tai, arresting the owner, three Chinese men, two white men, and two white women. Only the women's names were published, and they were each fined ten dollars. The men were given lectures on the dangers of opium and let off. In July of 1892, Little Rock adopted an ordinance outlawing opium. On August 6, six Chinese opium users were arrested, and all but one, Wa Li, paid $10 fines. Li appealed his case to the circuit court and overturned the citation by arguing that the opium den was his home, and it wasn't illegal to smoke opium in one's home. 
Later that month, two Chinese women were arrested and both appealed, saying that they had a right to smoke what they please. The perception of opium addiction was far from the only stereotype that these early Chinese immigrants had to deal with in Arkansas. In 1871, the Gazette reported on the shocking sight of seeing two Chinese men walking down the street in Little Rock dressed like white people because there were such pervasive stereotypes of the cultural traditions of Chinese folks. Early Chinese immigrants were also sometimes accused of operating illegal gambling houses. Shortly after Christmas in 1883, Tin Fu and several employees of his laundry were tried for illegal gambling after the police had mistaken an abacus used for bookkeeping as a gambling device. However, in spite of all these hardships, Chinese workers soon moved on to an industry where they made arguably their biggest impact on the region, grocery stores. By the 1920s, the majority of the Chinese population of Arkansas was working in the grocery store business. Their small grocery stores served rural areas populated by farm workers that had been previously served by plantation-owned commissaries. Nearly 75% of the Chinese population at the time lived in Phillips, Chico, Jefferson, and Crittenden counties. An example of those grocery stores is Lee Grocery Store in Elaine, which was operated by the Lee family from the 1950s until it closed in 2010. W.J. Lee was born in China and immigrated to San Francisco where he worked as a hotel manager. He heard about economic opportunities in the South and moved to Arkansas where he bought the building that would house his grocery store in the early 50s. Other members of the Lee family arrived in the area and in addition to the store in Elaine, they operated another store around 13 miles to the northeast in Oneida, as well as land in that area that the family farmed. Lee's sons, Seat N. Lee and Cam S. Lee, operated the store until it finally closed in 2010. The number of Chinese-owned groceries was bolstered by an exemption to the Chinese Exclusion Act passed in 1882, which allowed for the immigration of students, officials, teachers, and, of special importance to this part of the story, merchants. This brought the second wave of Chinese immigration to the state, and Unlike the first wave, many of these new arrivals were here to stay. Those who settled in Arkansas would eventually send for their families, usually bringing over a cousin or a nephew first. Once they were better established, they would send for their wives and children. The Chinese community in Arkansas was small and very tightly knit, often consisting of only just a few extended families. This stands in particular contrast to places on the east and west coasts that became home to many Chinese people. States in the South, like Arkansas and Mississippi, saw a decent amount of Chinese immigration, but they didn't settle into Chinatowns. Instead, they were spread out over a large rural area, and their community consisted of, as I mentioned earlier, extended family, as well as churches. Many grocers lived in rooms at the back of their stores. They often served mostly black customers and were usually in predominantly black neighborhoods, which made them targets of racial discrimination. At the time, Chinese Southerners had carefully crafted an identity that didn't assimilate into another race or class in the Delta. While most did convert to Christianity, they still remained uniquely Chinese. 
A big part of that was carefully maintaining an air of public neutrality when it came to matters of race. The Chinese were neither black nor white. As such, they were able to sort of move between those two worlds. Interracial marriages involving a Chinese man were exceptionally common. Up to the 1940s, the Chinese population in the state skewed heavily male. In 1880, there were only two Chinese women recorded in the state. The earliest recorded marriage between a Chinese man and a white woman comes from Helena in 1876. In 1881, Lung Sing of Deshaies County was recorded as marrying Kate Williams, a black woman. Marriages between Chinese men and black women were somewhat common. However, these couples were often targeted for discrimination and harassment from members of both the black and Chinese communities. As time went on, interracial marriages between Chinese men and black women became less common. That's likely because Chinese people had realized that they would be best served by getting in the good graces of white Arkansans. The Chinese community began to strongly frown upon romantic relationships between Chinese and black people, and it eventually became extremely rare. You see, things in Arkansas were pretty good for Chinese residents compared to how they were treated in Mississippi. Here in Arkansas, they were afforded more rights, including the ability to send their children to all-white schools and to attend services at all-white churches. These were privileges not extended to Chinese Mississippians. Perhaps fear that Arkansans would change over to a Mississippi way of thinking was part of the reason that the Chinese community began to distance itself from the black community in the early 20th century. Unfortunately, this meant that members of the Chinese community began to co-opt racist attitudes when dealing with their black customers, giving preferential treatment to whites, and even teaching white customers how to say racial slurs in Chinese. World War II brought more changes to the Chinese community in Arkansas. In 1943, State Senator C.B. Ragsdale of Arkansas County introduced a bill that would prohibit non-citizens from owning or renting property in the state. This bill was primarily targeted toward the Japanese Americans who were in internment camps in the state. But Chinese residents of Arkansas felt threatened. That feeling was even further justified when a proposal was added that would prohibit Chinese children from attending white schools. Once the bill passed the Senate, Chinese folks mobilized to stop it from passing the House of Representatives. Community leaders contacted the Chinese Embassy in Washington, D.C. and the Consulate in Houston. They recruited politicians as well as civic and business leaders to speak for their cause. State Senator William L. Ward was one of those leaders. He pointed out that the United States was currently involved in a fierce war in the Pacific, and our biggest ally in that war was China. The argument worked. The bill was indefinitely postponed, and the provision to ban Chinese students from white schools was dropped altogether. Also in 1943, the Chinese Exclusion Act was repealed. Over that summer, the Chinese Association of Arkansas was founded to support the war effort. They raised funds for both Chinese and American war bonds. They also promoted Chinese business and cultural interests in the state. The association created Chinese language education programs and even a Chinese language school in McGee that operated for two years. However, things happening on the opposite side of the globe would soon change the way that Chinese folks were treated here in Arkansas. 
Once communists took over the mainland, Chinese Americans faced increasing discrimination. Because of the increased scrutiny of the politics of Chinese folks, the Chinese Association of Arkansas felt the need to cease their political activism, instead shifting to exist as more of a social club. The most recent wave of Chinese immigration came after the passage of the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965, also known as the Hart Seller Act. Educated Chinese citizens who had fled the communist government to Hong Kong or Taiwan were given the opportunity to immigrate to the United States. The majority of these folks who came to Arkansas settled in the urban communities of Pulaski, Jefferson, and Washington counties. As of 2009, there were around 3,100 Chinese Americans living in the state. Chinese immigrants worked their way into the middle class more quickly than many ethnic groups and have gone on to form an important part of the cultural landscape of Arkansas. In 2020, Lee Grocery was added to the National Register of Historic Places in recognition of its association with the Chinese community in the Delta. Today, Chinese Americans are part of the full spectrum of the community in the state. They're community and business leaders, teachers, politicians, and everything else. This has been Mapstronaut. Thank you for listening. And Happy Lunar New Year.